We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Genovese, Gambino, Lucchese, Bonanno, Colombo. To many, these are just words, but to those who know, they are far more than mere words. They are names. The names of five families. The families that belong to a criminal organization that is 154 years old. An organization that held massive power and influence. An organization that has been the subject of movies, TV shows, video games, and books. Those five families belong to one of the most infamous organized crime societies in American history. Join us as we discuss what its members call Cosa Nostra, but what is known to many as the American Mafia. Well, hello, our fellow, our fellow weirdos. It's Dom and Amy, and welcome to episode thirty-seven of Horror House: True Crime and the Macabre. We hope you are all feeling fabulous on this Friday or Thursday, depending when you're listening. And we want you to know that you're a wonderful human and a bloody beautiful one too. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm very good. I'm um, I'm a bit tired, but other than that, I'm fantastic, and I'm very excited now that I know what this episode is about because I didn't up until about two seconds ago. <laughs> it's very exciting. <laughs> you got to keep that mystery element. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a need to know basis, and I just didn't need to know. Granted, I'm the co-host, but I don't, I don't need to know anything. <laughs> um. So, yes, we are talking about the American Mafia, um, a subject that is uh, something that I am quite interested in. Not that I plan on becoming a member of the Mafia, not that I could because I don't have any Italian descent. I am very much British um, with a bit of French. (laughs) Thank you, Nan. But no Italian um no italian blood in me so i can be an associate but i will never be a made man no you'll never be a made man you've got no chance and i'm scottish i definitely haven't got any chance oh yeah no that is true um but i am super super stoked to to talk about it the outline is over 20 pages uh so this might be a bit of a deep dive um amy is shaking her head (laughs) <laughs> I'm shaking my head because I understand why it's 23 pages because there is I, I mean you talked so the only thing I knew about the subject prior to starting with the recording was that your outline was 23 pages long and I'm sitting there thinking what fuck can you talk about for 23 pages but now now that I know I'm like right okay that makes sense now I'm surprised it's only 23 pages right it could have been far more. I could have probably got at least another 10 pages out of this. But I was like, that that would be going on like a three-hour episode. and We I might as well think... just start a second podcast. I don't, I don't... <laughs> yeah. 
a mob podcast. Oh, I could interview like old mobsters. A mob that cast. Would be, that would be sick. A mob cast. See, Amy is the brains of this production. I'm really not. I just merge <laughs> words together and hope for the best. She is the brains and the beauty. I am just vibing. I'm here for the good vibes. <laughs> 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 so key it's such a key thing to have with good vibes uh so if you haven't looked at the horror house patreon yet we would love to have you it's a great way to support us while also getting some nice little perks too such as early access to episodes ad free episodes bonus content and more which we feel is is pretty fucking dope absolutely agreed um you can do a monthly subscription or or you can do a 12-month subscription. And then if you change your mind and you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna cancel, you'll still get 12 months of of bonus episodes, of ad-free episodes, of early access. Like, I mean, that's pretty cool as well. You know, I'm just saying. So if you haven't looked at the Patreon, please come and join us and speaking of the patreon big news a big shout out to our first patron big shout out to laura who has become our first patron you're a bloody superstar lauren so thank you very much you for are coming what and beautiful, joining beautiful our beautiful person you are thank you absolutely but if the patreon isn't for you then we also have something else yes we do Yes, we do. Um, we have our buy me a coffee link, which we would love for you to use because we love coffee. Or I do. You know, we can have this conversation again if you want. I like coffee. He likes tea. We don't have to be the same. We don't have to be. The same. It's why we've got good chemistry because we're different. We're different, but the same. It's nice. Um, exactly. exactly. But yes, please do feel free to buy us a coffee. It's not a subscription. It's a one-time payment um, to just give us a little bit of support and make us smile and. And we'll say something nice about you, probably, maybe, if that's your thing. I can yeah. say something horrible if about you, if that's your thing. <laughs> I'm happy to do that as well. But if you can't do that, if you can't, you know, afford to give us any financial support, then just give us a few words of encouragement. Give us a nice comment. Give us a nice review. Say hello. Um, suggest a topic for, for the future podcasts. Why not? Yes. That's it. Absolutely. That's all um, <laughs> again, a big shout out to Laura. <laughs> who not only became our first patron, but also, also got us three coffees. Thank you so much uh, for that, Laura. And um, also, also, uh, thank you, mum, for <laughs> for the nice words about our, I think it was DB Cooper part two episodes. And also uh, the, the calling out wasn't, quite necessary <laughs> yes it was yes it was okay so for, no. for the listeners dom's mom no we're gonna tell them we are gonna tell them dom's mom called dom out because he didn't give me one of the coffees that his mom bought us from the buy me a coffee league so dom you owe me a coffee and dom's mom thank you for reminding him that that's the case <laughs> Oh, great. I've got two two people going going against me now. Even the co-host of my show. Ah. Um, yeah, why, why don't I mean, you leave the show and me and your mum will take it? <laughs> Make it happen. Mum, come and join us. 
and let's guest. talk disgusting murders. <laughs> I'll, I'll tone down the swearing. I do actually need I to promise. get mum on. I think that's a lie. She's not going to tone down the swearing, mum. <laughs> Anything for you, Yvette? <laughs> um, but uh, but yes, uh, thank you for the love, mum. Not so much <laughs> the the shade that was thrown uh, on your your baby boy. You leave Yvette alone. She was just trying to do the right thing. <laughs> I love you, Mum. So do I. Um, I love you, Yvette. I've never met you, but I love you. Uh, so, Amy, how much do you know about the mob, the mafia, Cosa Nostra, such and such? Um, I know about as much as the Godfather movie franchise has taught me. I, I do okay. quite like a, a mobster movie. I quite like a, a mafia movie. I'm... I've played Mafia, um, so I know a little bit. I mean, it's all a long time ago, so I think I'm going to have to, you know, dig into the recesses of my brain to find some of the information. And there is absolutely no point <laughs> asking me for Amy's fact of the week this week because I will not have one. So I, I know a bit. I'm, <laughs> I'm interested to learn more. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. 23 pages is a lot, so I think I'm definitely going to learn something. Oh, yes. Um, so, without further ado, Amy, are you ready to get our crime on and infiltrate the Mafia? I'm always ready to infiltrate. Oh, yes. So, the American Mafia, also known as the Italian-American Mafia, the Mafia or the Mob, is an extremely well-organized criminal organization and gang of Italian-Americans. The group is frequently referred to as La Cosa Nostra by the American government and Cosa Nostra by its members, which translates to our thing or this thing of ours. The organization's name is derived from the original mafia or Cosa Nostra, the Sicilian mafia, with American mafia originally referring simply to mafia or uh or Cosa Nostra groups from Sicily operating in the United States, as the organization initially emerged as an offshoot of the Sicilian Mafia, formed by Italian immigrants in the United States. Uh, following waves of Italian immigration, particularly from Sicily and other regions of southern Italy, the Mafia in the United States first appeared in impoverished, impoverished Italian immigrant neighborhoods, or ghettos in New York's East Harlem, or Italian Harlem, the Lower East Side, and Brooklyn. It also first appeared in other areas of the East Coast as the United States and several other major metropolitan areas, such as New Orleans and Chicago. Although it is a distinct organization in the United States, it does have roots in the Sicilian Mafia. The northeastern region of the United States is where the Mafia is currently most active, with New York, Philadelphia, New Jersey, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, and New England, Boston, Providence, and Hartford seeing the most activity. Additionally, it still holds power in Chicago and has a substantial presence in other Midwest cities, such as Kansas City, Detroit, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and St. Louis. It is far-reaching even today, even 154 years later. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Like, I, I didn't realise it was still such a major thing. I think because you you base your knowledge off of what you see in movies and that's always, like, you know, 
50s, 60s, you just don't, you don't assume that it still has any power today. So, but what I do know yeah. is that I, I went to Sicily a couple of years ago and they love the Godfather over there. Like they're, they're not, if the, if the mob still exists over there, then they do not hide it. Like everything you pick up, every like souvenir shop everywhere is just covered in Godfather stuff. Like it's, they're just really, you know, dining out on it, which I guess good for them. You know, that's way to make money. It's a way to get the tourists in. Absolutely. Um, I'm pretty sure it is still quite a big thing in in Italy, I think the mafia still has quite a bit of quite a bit of sway. So the Gambino, Lucchese, Genovese, Bonanno, and Colombo families are the main five families that make up the New York City mafia, also referred to as the Five Families. The Italian American mafia has long controlled uh, American organized crime, and each crime family has its own region and does business uh, autonomously. The commission, which is made up of the bosses of the most powerful families, oversees uh, national coordination. Despite the fact that the mafia mostly operates in the northeastern United States and Chicago, uh, the government has far more tools at their disposal to eliminate the mob. Other crime organizations are becoming more numerous and the mafia's glory days are behind them. They are still a powerful part of organized crime in the United States. So a whistle-stop tour of what is the American Mafia slash mob slash Cosa Nostra. Amy, do you feel enlightened? I do feel enlightened. Do you know what? It's weird. I've heard of the five families and I'd never, you know, thought to look them up or to see who they were. So it's good to know that that's, it's not just, you know, a name for them. Like it is genuinely five families. It makes a lot more sense now. Uh, that's probably yeah. a really stupid thing to say. Like, I've probably just made myself sound a right tip. But, yeah, it's good to know <laughs> that they're real. They are They are very real. Um, and, you know, as I said, there's, there's the Chicago outfit, which is still quite active. You have the Philly mob, which I think historically has been probably the most brutal family, mafia family. Uh, like, I could Ooh. do an episode on the Philly mob. And it it's where it's at, clearly. S- oh like some of the stuff that's happened in the philly mob is insane like they are brutal bastards uh so let's look at the history of the mob the mafia in the united states was first documented in print in the spring of 1869 according to the new orleans times the city's second district had become overrun by quote well-known and notorious sicilian murderers counterfeiters and burglars who in the last month have formed a sort of general co-partnership or stock company for the plunder and disturbance of the city i actually love the word plunder glorious it just reminds me of vikings <laughs> I know. Plunder and pillage. Uh, brazil and argentina were the main destinations for the southern italian immigrants who uh, immigrated to the americas and New Orleans saw a lot of port traffic to and from both of these countries. Mafia organizations in the US first rose to prominence in the New York City region, gradually expanding from modest neighborhood operations in impoverished Italian ghettos to mu- to mu- municipal. Bloody hell, why did I struggle so much with that? 
<laughs> I thought he just randomly yeah. turned into a cow halfway through a word. <laughs> Miserable. <laughs> I think I had some sort of stroke mid <laughs> mid word. I'm it's not fine. You brought it back. Keep it back. Um, it's not a problem. I did. I did. Um, and hey, you couldn't pronounce a certain surname in the last episode, so yeah. But we're not going <laughs> to labour over that, are we? Because neither of us can pronounce stuff. So we're all human. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> Mr. Foo. Mr. <laughs> Foo. Oh, no. This is really sad. We're now quite oh, in ourselves dear. from previous episodes. That's that's not good. That's not good. Let's move on. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, as I say, um, mafia organizations in the U.S. first rose to prominence in New York City. Uh, expanding from modest neighborhood operations in impoverished Italian ghettos to municipal and then federal organizations. At the turn of the 20th century, an extortion technique utilized in Italian communities was known as the Black Hand. It has occasionally been confused with the Mafia, which it is not. Although the Black Hand was a criminal organization, there were numerous little Black Hand gangs. Because the Black Hand criminals in Italian communities across the United States used the same extortion techniques, Black Hand extortion was sometimes uh, erroneously perceived as the work of a single group. Uh, the Paul Kelly-founded Five Points Gang dominated the Lower East Side's Little Italy from the 1890s through 1920 in New York City. Kelly hired a few street hoodlums who subsequently rose to prominence as some of the century's most renowned crime lords, including Johnny Torrio, Al Capone, Lucky Luciano, and Frankie Yale. They frequently had disagreements with the local Jewish Eastmans. East Harlem was also home, home to a powerful mafia family as well. In Brooklyn, the Neapolitan Camorra was also highly prevalent. Uh, the 19th Ward, an Italian neighborhood in Chicago, would earn the nickname Bloody 19th due to the area's high incidences of violence, which was primarily brought on by mafia activity, feuds and personal grudges. It's never good when a neighborhood is called the Bloody 19th. Yeah, but the schools are great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good area to raise kids. The transport network's fantastic. Sure, you might get stabbed. Sure, you might get extorted. But, you know, you want the best for your kids, right? Think about it. I can just see, like, the the town the town mayor or governor or whoever of the bloody 19th just being like, some of you may die, but that is a risk <laughs> I'm willing to take. Yay, I got that reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> I was like, please tell me you get that, please. <laughs> no, I got that one. Okay, we're good. We're good. I'm, I'm backing good books after the whole Yogi Bear uh... debacle. <laughs> yes, at least you have some sort of culture. <laughs> Shrek. Shrek. <of> <laughs> yes, I'm cultured. I did it, mum. I did it. <laughs> oh, dear. Mum, we're a cultured show now. <laughs> I finally made it. I'm moving to the bloody 19th. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! 
Or they also the the Neapolitan Camorra just sounds like some sort of ice cream. It sounds delicious. <laughs> I would love a Neapolitan Camorra right now. <laughs> That's just, yeah. I just had dinner. I've definitely got room for one. <laughs> Uh, the first conceivable mafia episode in the US occurred in New Orleans, where it attracted both domestic and foreign media attention. New Orleans Police Superintendent David Hennessy was executed on October the 15th, 1890. And to this day, it is still unknown whether Italian immigrants killed him or if natives staged the murder to implicate the despised immigrants from the lower classes. Uh, Italian-American gangs, along with other ethnic groups, entered the lucrative bootleg liquor business during the 1920s Prohibition era, when the 18th Amendment to the US Constitution would forbid the sale. Oh, God. Yay, (laughs) it's not me burping! That was. Oh, this is so successful. I haven't burped. (laughs) I've pronounced everything right. I got a reference. I was really going well. Oh dear, where did I even get to when I burped? I'm just going to start that bullet point again. Uh, Italian-American gangs, along with other <laughs> ethnic uh, other ethnic gangs, entered the lucrative uh, bootleg liquor business during the 1920s Prohibition era, when the 18th Amendment to the US Constitution forbade the sale, manufacture and transportation of alcoholic beverages, and they evolved into sophisticated criminal enterprises, adept at smuggling, uh, money laundering, and bribing police and other public officials. While not directly connected to mafia involvement, during the Prohibition era, the murder rate would increase by over 40%, holy shit, uh, going from 6.8 per 100,000 people to 9.7 per 100,000 people. And uh, within the first three months after the passage of the 18th Amendment, uh, a half a million dollars worth of bonded whiskey was stolen from government warehouses. Imagine being that <laughs> night security guard who's watching that government warehouse. <laughs> and, the, and the morning after, like, bosses come in and it's like, um, <laughs> why is half a million dollars worth of whiskey gone? I mean, I you and Hope not working alone. <laughs> Like if it the building's got that much whiskey and it's suddenly become you know illegal to have it, you're hoping that there's not just one security guard because that's a that's a tough job. Just that if it is just that one security guard, they're like fuck's sake, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> we trusted you, Bob. Uh, the money that could be made from selling and distributing alcohol was worth the chance of getting in trouble with the law, which was hard to enforce under prohibition. More than 900,000 cases of alcohol was delivered to U.S. city boundaries. Uh, Criminal gangs and politicians would see the opportunity to make fortunes and began shipping larger uh, quantities of alcohol to U.S. cities. The majority of the alcohol was imported from Canada, the Caribbean and the American Midwest, where stills would manufacture illegal alcohol. Bootlegging. Uh, brought in significantly more money than the usual crimes of prostitution, extortion, gambling, and protection. Mafia families were able to amass wealth thanks to prohibition. And during the ongoing prohibition, winning groups went on to control organized crime in their various cities, establishing the family systems of each one. 
Before these gangs were recognized as the well-known families they are now, the bootlegging industry organized its members. The new industry needed participants at all levels of employment, including bosses, attorneys, truck drivers, and even participants who would use force or the threat of force to destroy rivals. Armed guards were nearly always present in the caravans that carried the booze, as gangs frequently took control of each other's shipments of the substances and forced rivals to pay protection in order to leave their operations alone. Mafia gangs in Italy started fighting them uh, for exclusive control of lucrative uh, bootlegging networks. Italian ethnic groups would battle Jewish and Irish gangs for control of bootlegging in their own territories as the violence broke out. Uh, Frankie Yale engaged in combat with the Irish-American White Hand Gang in New York City. Another Irish-American organization, the North Side Gang, was killed in Chicago by Al Capone and his family. And by the end of the 1920s, two organized crime groups had begun to contend in New York City for the control of the criminal underworld. One of these was headed by Joe Masseria and the other by Salvatore Maranzano. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, right, I am zooming in on this because uh, I, I, this is not going to go well. The Castellamarisi War. That Boom! was that... <laughs> straight out of the park. <laughs> the Castellamarisi War resulted from this, and Masseria was killed. Yes, Masseria was killed <laughs> as a result in 1931. <laughs> oh dear! Uh, the, so the city of New York was then divided into five families by uh, Maranzano. The first boss of the American Mafia, Maranzano, would create the organization's code of conduct, organize the family structures and divisions, and would develop processes for settling conflicts. However, Dom, Dom guess Maranzano, what? Dom, what? What? I've got what, a fact. What? I've got a fact. Oh, I know. Oh, go. I know. go, 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 go. I, I didn't think I would. I didn't think I would. I didn't think it would happen. It's already way overinflated because it's not that good. But you mentioned the code of conduct and the rules of the mafia. I happen to know one of those rules. One of those rules is no facial hair. Boom. You're welcome. Okay. I don't think I was even aware of that. I'm not going to lie, to be honest. Oh, this I know, is what like, I mean. Like, I, I don't know anything about anything. I can't give you dates. I can't give you important information. But what I can <laughs> give you is utterly useless crap that no one needs to know. And one of the things that no one needs to know <laughs> is that the mafia isn't allowed to have facial hair. There you go. There's my fact. You can now continue with the more important stuff. I mean, I mean, there could be a mafia like recruit listening to this right now. I don't know why they would be, but they could be listening to this right now. Who's got a big bushy beard and he's like, oh, shit. I'm going to have to shave, man. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, you need to definitely <laughs> shave because they ain't going to let you in. Right. I don't know what number rule it is. It's nope. probably like way, way down the list. It doesn't seem like it would be very high up. If that's rule number one, then that's quite interesting. Like, first things first, Mafia. No fucking facial, <laughs> no facial fuzz, hair. all right? <laughs> no. That's rule number one. Rule number two. <laughs> Don't kill each other. No, I mean that's that's definitely not one of the rules. But um, <laughs> but yeah, no ah, facial hair ah, in mafia. So ah, 
oh no what have i have i done something well Uh-oh. well oh no, no 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 the no killing each other rule <laughs> I, will, I will touch on that uh, towards the end but that is kind of a rule i'll explain why but that's you mean kind the law? of a rule so i don't think the law applies to these people i mean the law yes but <laughs> as far so there are like there are like mafia rules we know no facial i don't hair. know a lot of them i know one of them isn't no facial hair um one of them is it's something to, like you can't uh disrespect uh someone's girlfriend someone's mum someone's auntie oh, like any woman of a made man oh that's you nice you can't like disrespect them or anything like that that's um, so nice so i know that's one rule so there's there's a, an ex-mobster who's called michael franzis he walked away from the life and he's now like a born-again christian and he does you know talks and um he's got a youtube channel and stuff and he said that one of the rules in his family the colombo family when he was in the family was you can't deal with drugs if you deal with drugs you die essentially it's a it's you know I think all the rules in the mafia are essentially if you break them, you die. The rule was not to, but people still did it. They just made sure they weren't caught doing it, essentially. Yeah. I mean, so far, it doesn't sound terrible. That's like, Like, don't don't disrespect women. Don't take drugs. I mean, those are two pretty solid rules. There are some other more uh, pretty brutal ones. pretty brutal ones which we which i'm pretty sure i did note down <laughs> so we will get cool. into those ones for sure <laughs> um so so yeah uh as i as as we said um maranzano was the first boss of the american mafia and created the organization's code of conduct organized the family structures and developed the processes for settling conflicts however maranzano fucked up a little bit I mean, a lot, actually. Maranzano made the unheard of decision to appoint himself what is known as Capo di Tutti Capi, the boss of all bosses, and demanded homage from all of the families. People in that life do not like greed uh, because, let's face it, everyone wants to get paid, especially if if you're in the mafia. And if someone starts to be greedy, that's not going to sit well. Um, and it didn't on this occasion because Maranzano was assassinated within six months on Charles Lucky Luciano's orders after his new position would garner poor reviews. Well, yeah, uh, I think it should do. If yeah, you give yourself thing... that title, <laughs> like you can't just call yourself that. Yeah. If you walk into a room and with all that's full of bosses anyway and go, I'm now the boss of all of you. Of course they're going to fucking assassinate him. What a douche. <laughs> so, yeah, Maranzano, Maranzano fucked around and he found out. So uh, Luciano would establish the commission in 1931 as an alternative to the previous uh, mafia practice of designating one mafia boss as capo di tutti capi, or boss of all bosses, where the bosses of the most powerful families would have an equal say and vote on significant issues and resolve family disputes. Was what, what was that big old smile? Was that because I pronounced capo di tutti capi correctly? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you've said it a couple of times now, and every time you say it, I just think, oh, that sounds cute. Capo de Cappy. Oh, it's like something you might call your granddad. It does. It sounds lovely, and then when you realise what it is, it's actually pretty fucking terrifying. But you know, Capo de Cappy sounds lovely. Ah, it rolls off the tongue very well, doesn't it? Uh, so this organization established a period of stability and success for the American Mafia by controlling the National Crime Syndicate. There were 26 official Mafia crime families by the middle of the 20th century, uh, each of which had its headquarters in a different city, except obviously for the five families, which were all based in New York. Each family ran its business independently of uh, of the others and often controlled a single region. The Young Turks, which was led by Luciano, were the most receptive to collaborating with other organizations, most notably the Jewish American criminal syndicates, in order to increase their earnings rather than the previous generation of mustache peats, such as Maranzano and Masseria, who often exclusively collaborated with other Italians only. Uh, I wonder how that'd look today. Like, if these crime families are collaborating, like, do you think they'd do it via Instagram? Like, shared posts? <laughs> Sending each other DMs. <laughs> it's like s- sponsored by the Young Turks, that sort of thing. Because I'd, I'd, you know, I'd get on board with that. Like, hit, hit me up, Young Turks. I'm ready to collab. Sponsor post. Hashtag ad. <laughs> oh, dear. That would be funny, though. Like, 2022 Mafia, they're just. Instagramming each other and tagging each other in posts and shit. Yeah, that's um, where the real war is on the internet. I can imagine, like, uh, phones are very much a bad thing if you're in the mafia. Like, because yeah, you can be trapped on that. So <laughs> it's pretty bad. Mm. I'm pretty sure, actually, recently, I'm pretty sure. Like, I want to see the. I want to say the conciliaire of the Colombo family we'll get into like what the hierarchy is a little bit later but the the conciliaire um of the colombos was located by like the fbi because his son took a photo of him and then put it on twitter or something (laughs) (laughs) it's just like what the fuck (laughs) oh dear oh no that's not good is it i would be human (laughs) i'd be like (laughs) you would think as well that his son would be a bit more clued up like, yeah, you can take pictures, just don't put them right. anywhere because dad's not actually a right. milkman. <laughs> and don't add the location to the post either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. The mafia survived by adhering to a uh, strict set of rules that developed in Sicily and required a formalized hierarchical structure as well as a code of silence prohibiting its members from assisting the police which is called omerta. Any of these rules that were broken were punishable by death. Pretty much anything in the mob is punishable by death. If you if you break your oath and you turn your back and you walk away, you will have a contract put on your life and they will not stop until you're dead. That contract does not have an expiry date. It will expire when they kill you. It's the same for... It's the same for getting caught dealing with drugs. If you if you get caught, you break the rules, you die. So yeah, don't break the rules in the mob. Otherwise, you're going to have a hit 
put out on you and you are going to be looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life and that would suck yeah that is pretty shit long after alcohol was once again rendered legal the mafia would continue to grow in power criminal empires that had grown thanks to bootleg money would find new ways to make big sums of money after the prohibition on alcohol was lifted in 1933 the mafia would expand the scope of its money making illegal operations include uh, to include illegal gambling operations uh, loan sharking extortion protection rackets, drug trafficking, fencing, and labor racketeering through the control of labor unions. Uh, The Teamsters and International Long Horsemen's Association were the two unions that the Mafia was rumored to have infiltrated in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, This made it possible for criminal families to get access to a variety of highly lucrative legal industries, including the construction demolition, waste management, haulage, waterfront, and clothing industries. They would also steal from the health and pension funds of the unions, threaten businesses with a workers' strike, and take part in bid rigging. In the 1930s, when the mafia was already involved in the sale of Cuban rum and sugar, uh, Maya Lansky began to make inroads into the country's casino sector several mafia leaders were able to legally invest in casinos after his friend Fulgencio Batista was elected president of Cuba in 1952. One estimate would put the number of casinos owned by organized crime at at least 19 casinos. However, after Batista was defeated in the Cuban revolution, Fidel Castro would would forbid American investment in the nation essentially ending the Mafia's involvement in Cuba. Las Vegas was thought of as an open city where any family might find employment. As soon as Nevada legalized gambling, gangsters took advantage and Las Vegas's casino sector would grow rapidly. Mafia families from New York, Cleveland, Kansas City, Milwaukee and Chicago have all been involved with the Las Vegas casinos since at least the 1940s. It's a lot of mob casinos, man. Jesus. There's a lot of mob casinos. Like, you you hear that all the time. Like, I always used to hear it like a bit of a joke that, oh, the mob runs Vegas. But I guess that's that's kind of true. Absolutely. They, like, they had, I'm pretty sure they had a massive influence in Las Vegas growing to what it it is now. Definitely. Yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's such a fine line between all of the illegal stuff that they did and how they you know got to where they are as successful as they are but then a lot of the businesses that they then or now run are legitimate you know they they just got them illegitimately in a lot of ways so it's quite a fine line between the good and the bad I guess like at what point do you just kind of go oh okay we don't really need to be criminal anymore we're making enough money without being criminals Uh, So the Mafia would utilise respectable frontmen to construct casinos and obtain financing from the Teamsters Pension Fund, a union in which they effectively controlled. Hired men would skim cash when it entered the counting room before it was recorded and then bring it to the appropriate boss. Although this money uh, was unaccounted for, it is thought to have been in the hundreds of millions of dollars. 
The mafia operated in secrecy with little interference from the authorities. Local law enforcement authorities would lack the tools or expertise necessary to effectively take on organised crime perpetrated by a convert organisation in which they were entirely ignorant of. The courts and the police were frequently brought off and witness intimidation was also widely used. Uh, A US Senate committee known as the Kiefer hearings concluded that the mafia was, quote, a sinister, a sinister? That's not even a word. (laughs) I'm making up words. (laughs) Glorifying. Well, this is like the third episode in a row, or at least like the third of the last four that we've made up at least one word. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's okay. I think we're allowed. I knew what you meant when you said sinister, so it must be fine. Okay, good. At least you know what I'm talking about. Um, The hearings concluded that the Mafia was, quote, a sinister criminal organisation that functioned in the country throughout 1951. Uh, Many alleged Mafia members were subpoenaed to testify, but few did so and none provided any useful information. Uh, In Appalachian, New York, in 1957, the New York police discovered a meeting and detained prominent people from all across the nation. The incident, known as the Appalachian Meeting, would revolutionise how law enforcement investigated crime, uh, organised crime and compelled the FBI to finally, finally acknowledge that it might have a bit of a mafia issue in the United States. <laughs> Just a little one. A bit what an understatement. <laughs> what an understatement. So, side note, quickly. The, Appala- the Appalachian meeting was, uh, I think it's kind to say, or fair to say, was an absolute fucking disaster. So, out of the 100 <laughs> mafiosi, more than 60 were detained. Um, a meeting such as the Appalachian meeting would never occur again as a result, and the membership books to become a made man in the mob were closed and not reopened until 1976 as a direct result of the meeting. This is going to sound really stupid, Um, and I I don't want it to sound stupid, but I'm going to say it anyway. So there's like a book, the books, to become a made man. I didn't realise quite how organised organised crime actually was. Like the fact that they've got open books to become a made man and they're having these massive meetings that are clearly like taking a lot of logistical you know decisions to make happen i just didn't realize how how much organization goes into it and i appreciate it's called organized crime but you know (laughs) you just don't put two and two together do you like well done you know i mean was there catering and it's a fair there must have been catering it's crazy You would expect there would be, especially if it's a mafia meeting. You would expect that they would have like the best catering they could ever get. What kind of sandwiches um, were there? No, I, I think it's a fair statement. <laughs> the hard-hitting questions. Uh, so yes, it's it's fair to say the Appalachian meeting was a was a, a pretty pretty big clusterfuck. Um, but very I mean, well catered. It kind of, but very, very well catered. Um, but it does kind of. Maybe 100 mobsters all going to someone's house 
you know, dressed in suits, driving really flash cars. It's going to kind of look out of place. And the police are probably going to be like, yeah, that looks kind of suspicious. Yeah, it's, uh, that was a bit, that was a lesson learned from from the mafia, I think. Uh, so Joe Valachi was the first mafia member to turn state's evidence and divulge specific details about his operations and trade secrets in 1963. More importantly, he would inform authorities about the Mafia's existence, allowing the Federal Bureau of Investigation to launch a determined offensive against the Mafia's national crime syndicate. Because of Valachi's testimony, the Mafia could no longer entirely hide its activities. The Organised Crime Strike Force was established in numerous cities as the FBI increased its efforts and resources to combat organized crime nationally. Uh, All of this increased pressure on the mob, but little was done to stop their criminal activities. By the start of the 1980s, when the FBI was able to free Las Vegas casinos from mafia rule and made a uh, concerted attempt to weaken the mafia's grip on labor unions, success had been achieved in some way. So the mafia had a wide range of business interests by the late 1970s, including wagering on college athletics. Several uh, mafia individuals connected to the Lucchese crime family took part in a Boston College basketball team point-shaving controversy. Uh, During the 1978-1979 basketball season, Rick uh, Kuhn, Henry Hill and other members of the Lucchese criminal Uh, family interfered with the outcome of the games they made sure their wage they made sure their wages uh on the point spread of each game would win by threatening and bribing a number of team members uh gas uh, gas tax fraud was one of the mafia's most lucrative profits in the 1980s after selling wholesale petroleum valued at millions of dollars they devised plans to keep the money they owed in taxes. As a result, they were able to sell more gasoline for even less money. Uh, By dodging the Internal Revenue Service, also known as the IRS, and closing the gas station before law enforcement could force uh, force him to pay what he owed, um, Michael Franzis ran and organized a gas scandal and stole almost two hundred and ninety million dollars in fuel taxes holy shit <laughs> that's, that's insane so much money <laughs> that is so much money Jesus. i didn't even know that much money existed in one go like that's that's crazy uh however um in 1985 michael franzis would be apprehended um after i believe his business partner turned informant and essentially spilled the entire scheme to the fbi uh, so labor racketeering helped the mafia control many industries from a macroeconomic scale. In many cities with significant labor unions, including New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit, and many more, this strategy helped them gain power and influence. Many mafia members joined unions and even rose to the positions of union executives. Restaurants were another effective tool the mafia could use to expand its control in the economy. In New York City, there were many eateries that were owned by the mafia. 
In addition to being the scene of numerous murders and significant gatherings, they were also a successful method of smuggling cocaine and other illicit commodities. The estimated $1.65 billion worth of heroin that the Sicilian mafiosi imported through pizzerias between 1985 and 1987 was concealed in a variety of foods. Uh, pizza and heroin, how very Italian. <laughs> classic. What classic combo. <laughs> the mafia also, as we say, had significant economic impact in Las Vegas, which started shortly after World War II with the opening of the city's first casino, the Flamingo. Uh, many people believed that the mafia played a significant role in the rise of the city throughout the middle of the 20th century when millions of dollars were invested in brand new casino resorts, laying the groundwork for future economic expansion. More casinos built with mafia funding throughout the 1950s include the Stardust, the Sahara, the Tropicana, the Desert Inn and the Riviera. Throughout the 1960s, tourism in the city significantly rose, boosting the local economy. Uh, However, the 1960s would also see a decline in the mafia's impact on the Las Vegas economy. Both the federal and state governments of Nevada had been seeking to reduce mafia activities on the Strip. The Nevada state legislator, there we go, established a a statute in 1969 that facilitated corporate ownership of casinos. This attracted new investors to the local economy. A year later, uh, the RICO Act was enacted by the US Congress. Statute enforcement now has additional power to go after the mafia for its illicit activities, thanks to this law. Involvement by the mob in Las Vegas would drastically decrease in the 1980s, and many members of the mafia were found guilty and sent to prison thanks to the RICO law. Now, I hear you say, people, uh, I can hear you. I can hear you screaming. What is RICO? What is the RICO law? Well, let me enlighten you. When the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, the RICO Act, was made federal law in 1970, it would quickly establish itself as a powerful weapon for bringing mob uh, mob members to justice. For actions committed as a component of an ongoing criminal organization, it stipulates increased criminal penalties. Uh, Each count of breaching the law carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in jail a maximum fine of $25,000 and the forfeiture of all assets acquired during the offence. Because it targets a complete corrupt uh, organisation rather than uh, a single corrupt person who are quickly replaced by other members of organised crime, the RICO um, Act has proven to be a remarkably effective tool. Uh, And it's not just the RICO Act. There was changes to sentencing i'm pretty sure there were they got rid of like parole they did the bail reform act like they put in hella laws and it wasn't until i'm pretty sure it wasn't until the 1980s uh when rudy giuliani became da for new york that 
they used it properly because they would never go for the top bosses. They would always go for like a low level soldier, give him like, I don't know, 10 years. He would be out in six. He would go back to the street and then he would just carry on where he was. He would carry on where he left off. Mm-hmm. Under Rico, they would be giving people 50, 100, 150. And they were like, sure. you're not going to get bail. You're not going to get parole. You're going to die in prison if you do not cooperate with us, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I can kind of see the logic behind it. But I mean, this is a whole bigger conversation, maybe about, you know, punishment and, and reform, I guess. But it doesn't really give people much of an opportunity to to mend their ways, does it? Like, I fully get that you give them six years, they're probably going to go out and immediately go back to the family and, and continue what they were doing before. That I do understand. But there are people that did want to, you know, get away from that life. And if you give them, you know, 50 years in prison or 100 years in prison or whatever, then they're never going to have that opportunity. They're just going to, ha- they're going to know mafia life and prison life and that's it Mm. so i don't know and but i think yeah i i I get why they didn't go after bigger people as well like it's it's scary like who do you trust i think it's why so like informants like the rico act did a lot of damage to the mafia it's why it's like a shell of what it used to be it's still around it's just very different and it doesn't have anywhere near the power that it did you know from 1950 to 19 mid 1980s um but it's it's why like there were so many informants because the feds were like you know say they get um i don't know a soldier or a kappa regime who's in their 30s 40s he's got a family back home um you know, they get him on, I don't know, money laundering, extortion, I don't know, prostitution, uh, other, you know, illegal stuff. Slap him with a, you're going to be, you're, you're going to be put away for 50 years, which means you'll either die in prison and never see your family again, or will come out of prison when you're in your 80s and you'll probably die very soon after. Or if you tell us what you know, we'll give you a, 10-year prison sentence and then when you get released we'll put you in witness protection we'll give you a new name we'll move your family we'll make sure that you're safe we'll give you some money it's why people were just yeah becoming informants left right and which center is smart because they were like well in terms of the police it's definitely smart oh 100 because you know you're you're essentially not giving people an option it's either you know die in prison or still go to prison but you know have a good chance of living a life afterwards so it does make perfect yeah. sense oh 100 percent. and if you live if you live that life and you retire peacefully and you don't spend a day in jail then you're very lucky because i think in that life like you either get killed um or you like you either die in the street by probably a member of that family like your best friend in that family will walk you into a room and put a bullet in your head so you die that way or you die in prison you know so it's like well yeah i would probably take the uh witness protection offer and just tell you everything and then you know do my 10 years in in prison and then go home i mean it's definitely not an easy life is it like you're 
you're constantly concerned that you're going to, you know, break some rule that I'm sure aren't particularly, you know, in the forefront of your mind all the time because there's so many of them. And if you do that, then someone that should be really close to you is going to end up killing you or the police are going to catch you and they'll catch you for anything. Yeah. Like you're essentially doing illegal stuff all the time because that is the life you have chosen. So eventually the police will get you for something until they can pin other stuff on you as well. I mean, it's like um, Al Capone, like all of the shit he did and he finally got arrested for tax evasion because that was just what they could get him on. And, you know, that's how like relentless they were in trying to capture him. Like anything that they could convict him of, they were going to do because, I mean, granted, you know, people should be convicted for tax evasion, obviously, but it's just surprising that that's what they caught him on when he'd done so much other shit. And that's the sort of, like you've chosen to live your life that way, to constantly be doing illegal stuff for your family. And I put family in, you know, quotation marks, who would just as quickly kill you if you do something wrong. It's just, it's not a, it's not a good life, you know, that you have this like glamorous idea of what the mafia is. And I think that is the majority of which from movies and games. And it just isn't, it's just terrifying. Well, that's it. It's, it's very romanticized Mm. and people sort of look at it it's this there's this you know amazing thing and there's a lot of money and there's a lot of women and you know sharply dressed men and you know nice cars and big houses and and all of this stuff and it's like yeah that's part of it but you know the mafia has always sort of been a a life that's been um founded on respect and loyalty and and brotherhood and stuff but over time that just gets polluted by greed and backstabbing and and the person who's your best friend today could be the one that tries to kill you you know next week so it's very romanticized uh so uh back to the rico act if you <laughs> if we if you can remember what what that was people listening because it's been a while um and something cool oh i've forgotten already sorry organizations i know the last one was organizations yes uh so you're you were you uh right on two uh it's racketeer influenced and corrupt organizations act (laughs) well i didn't do too badly didn't do too badly this is proof that i actually do listen to you sometimes you did all right Uh, So, in accordance with the legislation, 13 underbosses and 43 captains were found guilty between 1981 and 1988, while 23 bosses from all over the nation were found guilty between 1981 and 1992. By 1990, almost 1,000 members of uh, various crime families had been found guilty and had been put in prison. Obviously, this significantly crippled many family, many mafia families around the country. However, the most powerful families continued to dominate crime in their territories, even if the new laws had put more mobsters in jail and made it harder for them to operate. Um, in 1992, Gambino family boss John Gossi and Gambino consigliere Frank uh, 
Locasio, uh, were convicted to life in prison in a notorious RICO case with the assistance of informant Sammy the Bull Gravano, who ironically actually happened to be Gotti's underboss, <laughs> who received immunity <laughs> from prosecution in return for essentially putting his boss in prison. I mean, immunity is good. <laughs> At least he got immunity. Like, you know, they could have still got him for some stuff. I'm sure he implicated himself. But if you're going to throw your boss under the bus, you definitely want immunity at the end of it. Yeah. Uh, Sammy did end up going to prison. I, I can't entirely oh. remember <laughs> what it was for. But he did. Uh, yeah, he did eventually go to prison for something. But I can't remember. Just ignore everything I just said then. Related to that. I think it might have been. I don't know if he like violated his parole or something, probably like that. Which he violated know, his boss. Prison. I don't know. He did violate his boss. Uh, mobsters could be placed in the United States Federal Witness Protection Program, altering their names and receiving financial support for the rest of their lives, in addition to escaping lengthy jail terms. In the 1990s, this resulted in dozens of mob figures. Um, testifying and providing information, which led to the arrest of hundreds of other mobsters. As a result, during the 1990s, the mafia had significantly lost its power and influence in the world of organized crime. Uh, Joseph Messino, the boss of the Bonanno crime family, was detained and charged with racketeering on January the 9th, 2003, along with his underboss, who also happened to be his brother-in-law, Salvatore Vitali, Capo Frank Lino, and Capo Daniel Mongelli. Uh, Messino was accused of ordering the 1981 murder of Dominic Sunny Black uh, Nap Napolitino, uh, among other crimes. The trial for Messino would begin on May the 24th, 2004, with Judge Nicholas Garofis presiding over the uh, presiding over the trial. And the prosecutions, Greg D. Andres and Robert uh, Henock. He faced 11 RICO counts for seven murders um, arson, extortion, loan sharking, illicit gambling, and money laundering. Oof. It's quite the rap sheet. <laughs> yeah. Um, on July the 30th, 2004, the jury returned a verdict of guilty, surprise, surprise, on all counts after deliberating for five days. He was initially due to be sentenced on October the 12th and was anticipating a life term without the possibility of parole. On the day of the verdict, the jury also agreed with the prosecution's recommendation that the proceeds from his tenure as Bonanno boss uh, be forfeited for $10 million. As Yikes. soon as he was found guilty, what's up? That's a lot of money. Sorry, I, I'm just trying to like <laughs> yeah, so do a much. running total in my head of the amount of money that has passed through all of these cases. And it's just an insane amount, a really insane amount. <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's yeah. crazy. So as soon as, he, as soon as he was found guilty on July the 30th, and the court was adjourned. Messino asked to meet with uh, meet with the judge and made his first offer to cooperate. He did this in the hopes of avoiding death, because if proven guilty of one of the killings, he would have been 
executed. Um, so how does the mob make money in the 21st century, especially with the much more sophisticated tools that law enforcement have? Well, the Mafia has persisted in engaging in a wide range of pursuits. Uh, wind energy, offshore internet gaming, and Craigslist sex trafficking, to name a few. Big yikes on that last one. Yeah, a little bit. The Mafia continues to assassinate individuals, extort businesses, and steal trades in narcotics. However, the modern mobster has changed with the times, much like any good venture capitalist. They have taken long-standing long sources of income, like prostitution, gambling and money laundering to new heights or new depths if you want to look at it that way. The Mafia continues to be the main criminal organization in their stronghold areas despite the fact that other groups such as the Russian Mafia, the Chinese triads, the Mexican drug cartels and others have seized a portion, a sizable portion of illegal operations. Um, the reason the Mafia continues to be very lucrative even in the 21st century is partly because of their rigid hierarchical structure plus uh although fbi and local law enforcement agencies uh, now focus more on homeland security and less on organized crime since the september the 11th attacks which has essentially allowed the mafia to reorganize and build itself back up again the modern mafia also outsources many of its operations to other criminal organizations, such as motorcycle gangs, to evade FBI scrutiny and prosecution. So I think it, this is a good time for a quick commercial break. Uh, don't you think so as well, Amy? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good time. I've got a lot to process. We will see you back here in a few. We are the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes like serial killers and the random one-off murder. We will tell you about bizarre occurrences like alien abductions and monsters in the dark. And we just might get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. At the very end of every show, we like to lighten things up and cleanse the palate from the tragic and terrifying stories so we end our time with a chaser. You might get to hear crazy stories about our pets or just silly movie recommendations. Give us a listen. We are the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast. So, uh, back to the episode. So, Amy, now that we have a bit of background on Cosa Nostra, uh, American Mafia... Mm -hmm. Shall we have a chat about the structure of the various families? I think so. I need to know who's in charge. Uh, the American Mafia has a rigid hierarchical structure for its operations. Salvatore Maranzano developed the basic organizational structure of the American Mafia in 1931, but it is rem reminiscent of its Sicilian roots. He established the five families, each with a boss, underboss, capos, soldiers, um, who are all exclusively full-blooded full Italian-Americans, and also associates who might be from any background. 
The Mafia refers to all new recruits as made men. Uh, this denotes their invul- invulnerability in the criminal underworld and the threat of revenge for any harm done to them. All Mafia mobsters, with the exception of associates, are made members of a certain crime family. The administration is comprised of three top positions. These are fact- There are factions underneath the top positions, each of which is led by a capo regime, uh, also known as a captain, who commands a group of soldiers and allies. They report to the administration and could be seen as an equivalent to managers in a conventional business. When the boss of a family makes a decision, he rarely issues orders directly uh, to workers who would carry out carry it out but instead passes instructions down through the chain of command. In this way, if the lower level members of the organization who actually commit the crime should be apprehended or investigated, the upper levels of the organization are shielded from law enforcement scrutiny, which rather smartly, I suppose, would give them plausible denial. Smart makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, it Mm -hmm. kind of, conjures up vibes of like you sending your kids out to to do something naughty and then when the police catch them you're just like oh you know these kids they're rascals can't believe they've done that gone and shot that bloke (laughs) what a nightmare (laughs) oh salvatore you little devil (laughs) the family leadership occasionally includes additional positions Uh, When a boss is imprisoned, decision-making panels are frequently established to share the family's responsibilities, and these would usually consist of three or five members. This assists in deflecting police focus away from any particular member. Um, An example of this would be former Genovese family boss Vincent uh, Giganti, who invented the roles of family messenger and street boss. Fun fact about Vincent <laughs> Giganti. So to avoid uh, getting scooped up by the FBI and law enforcement, guess what this man did for, I'm not sure how long, it was quite a while. Do you want to hear something? I don't know if this is bad or good. I think I know. Did he wander around the streets in his pyjamas pretending to be mad? Yes. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amy knows something about the mafia. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Didn't expect that on your episode, did you? Um, yeah. Coming at you with the knowledge. I don't know how to say this without coming off as like such a dick. I didn't expect you to know that. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's fine. It's absolutely fine. <laughs> that is the sort of useless uh... stuff that I do know. I've heard about him. They they refer to him as the odd father, uh, and I love that. Yeah, there's so there's another one which I found out recently, and I was like, "This is fucking hilarious." <laughs> this is the one. This is the one that got me. The enigma in the bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's a great name. Or simply the robe. <laughs> Sounds like a really crappy superhero. <laughs> I know. Quick, here comes the robe. The, ro- the enigma in the bathrobe. Also, Dom, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I feel like that was like your 
your big reveal of a fact. And I was just like, no, I already know it. Fuck you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so interesting fact about <laughs> Vincent Gicanti. Just for those who don't know. So to avoid detection and to avoid being apprehended by the authorities, this man would walk up and down the street in his pajamas and a bathrobe, muttering incoherently to himself to put on the fact that he was just insane. This is brand new information. <laughs> wow i don't know which one to, i think i'm gonna keep that one in oh my god <laughs> incredible fact that i had no idea about at all ever oh. <laughs> thank you don for nourishing my mind that's all right i'm 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 so happy you did not know that fact. <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> didn't know it. 100%. <laughs> oh, oh dear. Oh, that, was, uh, that was funny. <laughs> oh. So what exactly are the positions in a mob family? Well, at the very head of the family, you have the boss. Every business has a portion that goes to the boss. Every member of the family and the family occupying the area participates in operations. The boss may be chosen by a vote of the family's capital regimes, depending on the family. The underboss casts the deciding vote if there is a tie. All the family members uh, used to vote for the boss in the past, but by the late 1950s, such gatherings typically drew too much attention. <clears throat> the Appalachian incident um, uh, is one of those. Um, yeah, the definitely drew second, attention. <laughs> definitely did. Um, the second in leadership of the family is the underboss, who is often chosen by the boss. The family's daily operations are frequently managed by the underboss, who also supervises the family's most uh, lucrative uh, rackets. He typically receives a portion of the boss's cut of the family's revenue. Uh, the underboss is commonly regarded as the boss's logical successor and is typically the first in line to take over as acting boss if the boss ends up going to prison. Then you have the conciliaire who serves as a family advisor and is occasionally referred to as the boss's right-hand man. He serves as a conflict resolution mediator and frequently represents or assists the family in meetings with other families, competing criminal organizations and significant business partners. In actuality, the conciliaire is typically the third ranking official in a family's administration and was traditionally a senior official with the highest regard from the family and extensive knowledge of the organization's internal workings. An official... Um, conciliaire is frequently chosen by a boss from among his close friends or personal advisors. Next in the hierarchy, you have a capo regime, sometimes known as a captain or skipper, uh, who is in charge of a crew of soldiers that answer to him. 
Each crew typically consists of 20, uh, 10 to 20 soldiers, as well as numerous other personnel. A capo is chosen by the boss and works under his direction. Uh, a captain is liable for whatever tasks are given to him, murder included, and gives a portion of his and his subordinates' wages to the boss. Um, a capo is typically in charge of infiltrating union locals in labour racketeering. Um, a capo can occasionally exert more influence than some of his superiors if he grows strong enough. They may even circumvent the traditional mafia hierarchy in cases such as Anthony Corallo who, and, and take the family's leadership when the boss passes away. A inducted or made member of the mafia uh, generally, as well as an inducted member of a, of a specific mafia crime family, is known as a soldato um, or soldier. And historically, they could only be of full Italian ancestry, although today many families only require men to be of half Italian ancestry on their father's side specifically. An established man might suggest uh, a rising associate to be a new soldier while the books are open, which denotes that a family is welcoming new members. Soldiers are the main workers of the family, usually committing crimes such as assault, murder, extortion, intimidation, etc., etc. In return, they are given profitable rackets to run by their superiors and have full access to their family's connections and power. So those are the five main roles of a mafia family. And then you have you have sort of a, another section, which is an associate. So technically, an associate is not a member of the mafia, but works for a crime family nonetheless. Associates can include a wide range of people who work for the family. An associate may be assigned a variety of tasks, such as doing simple errands or performing essentially identical tasks to those of a soldier. This is where aspiring mob members uh, or, or connected guys begin to establish their value. When a crime family is ready to add new members, the top Italian-born associates are screened and chosen to serve as soldiers. However, for everyone who has non-Italian ancestry, many apologies, non-Italians will never go further than being an associate. You will never become made if you are not at least, if you, you're not going to get made if you don't at least have ancestry on your father's side. Although many non-Italian associates of the mafia, such as Maya Lansky and Bugsy Siegel, wielded extreme power within their respective crime families and carried the respect of uh, actual mafia members of people who actually took the oath. So, speaking of the oath, uh, the mafia initiation ceremony to become a made man in the mafia originated from a number of origins, including witchcraft rites, uh, Masonic lodges in Sicily in the middle of the 19th century, and Roman Catholic confraternities, whatever the hell that is. No idea. At the initiation ceremony the inductee would have his finger pricked with a needle by the officiating member a few drops of blood are spilled on a card bearing the likeness 
likeness of a saint. Uh, and the card is then set on fire. Finally, while the card is passed rapidly from hand to hand to avoid burns, the new member will take an oath of loyalty, uh, which, as we said, is called omerta. Um, and if, as we said, if you break that rule of omerta, then that is uh, bad news. And I believe one of the things you're told uh, in the ceremony is, is the the saint is burning in your hand. Something along the lines of if you betray your brothers or if you betray your oath, then just like this saint is burning in your hands, you're, you will burn in hell or something to that effect. Wow, that's extreme. <laughs> Pretty intense. <laughs> so uh, a made man must get his hit or murder authorized by his family's hierarchy in order to avoid retaliatory hits and the possibility of starting a war. So, uh, as we said, uh, traditionally to become a made man uh, or a full member of the Mafia, the inductee was required to be a male of full Sicilian descent, later extended to males of um, full Italian descent and later further extended to males of half Italian descent through their father's lineage. Uh, Salvatore Vitale, or Vitale, Vitale, I'm going to go Vitale, um, claims that the commission um, had a meeting to reinstate the requirement that both parents be of Italian origin um, at a meeting held in 2000. One of the most famous cases against the mafia is the... Uh, the commission trial. So on October the 25th, 1985, nine New York mafia leaders, um, and I believe all five bosses of the five families were included with this, were charged with violating the RICO Act um, by extorting construction companies as part of the commission trial. The charges included drug trafficking, loan sharking, gambling, labor racketeering and labor extortion the original nine individuals and two more new york mafia bosses bosses entered a not guilty plea to a second batch of racketeering charges as part of the trial on july the 1st 1985 with the help of their participate their participation in the commission the prosecutors sought to attack all the crime families at once uh, the underboss for the Gambino family, Neil Delacroach, uh, would pass away from cancer on December the 2nd, 1985. Uh, Paul Castellano, the de facto leader of the commission and Gambino family boss, was later assassinated on December the 6th, 1985 by, as we said, future boss John Gotti outside of a Sparks steakhouse. So in the early 1980s the Bonanno family were actually kicked off the commission due to the Donny Brasco infiltration um, the Bonanos were less exposed um, uh, than the families uh, in this case since they had previously lost their commission position so <laughs> at least the Bonanos were like well we're not on the commission anymore sucks to be you guys <laughs> 
So, so we're just going to bounce. Fun, guys. See you later. With the commission trial. <laughs> we're off to get yeah. a steak now um, that the steakhouse has reopened. <laughs> so for those confused um, and don't know about Donny Brasco, so a short summary. Um, Donny Brasco was, in fact, Joe Pistone, uh, who was a undercover FBI agent who was actually... Um, he was an undercover FBI agent who actually got made and was able to infiltrate two families for five years. One legend. So when the third Colombo crime family war, yes, the Colombo crime family has had three internal wars in its, you know, 100 years of existence, uh, the commission would forbid any members of the family from serving on the body and at one point they even considered dissolving the family as a whole and just sort of outsourcing all of the made men to other families um (laughs) uh, just making them redundant (laughs) sorry guys you're just gonna have to go join someone else because we're 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 shutting down the biz. Pretty much. Apologies. <laughs> that that life oath that you swore, you just, That's you it. just forget about that. Don't worry about it. Off you pop. You're with the Genovese family now. <laughs> ah, damn it. I wanted to be with the Bananos. <laughs> so, yes, the Columbos would have three internal wars, and the third war was by far the bloodiest. And I could devote a whole episode to the third Colombo family war. But I'm going to do a quick little summary. Um, so the third Colombo family war, uh, I believe, lasted from 91 to 94 off the top of my head. Uh, and it nearly destroyed the family with 12 members dead and 58 soldiers and associates in prison. Um, American journalist, author and former investigative reporter Selwyn Rabb estimates that 70 of the family's members and associates were convicted and the family was left with 75 made members. Uh, Hence the reason why they were almost dissolved at one point um, because the commission were just like, I mean, Columbus, what the fuck? This is your third war. Stop. (laughs) And they lost a lot of people, so they probably had to have like a massive recruitment drive afterwards. Like maybe they had an open day, and they just tried to get people in. This is what this is what we're about. <laughs> Here's a free tote bag. Why don't you join us? They had a they had a job fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Most how spans. else would you get people to join? Obviously, on the way in, you ask them if they're Italian American, but. You know, other than that, it's basically just just <laughs> recruitment, just getting the numbers in. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the Columbus Bellini destroyed. I'm pretty sure, like all of their hierarchy, like their top hierarchy, went to prison. All of them, um, boss, underboss, conciliaire, like just everyone was carted off. The whole shebang. Um, and I'm pretty sure, like, of course, innocent people were caught in the crossfire. Pretty, pretty bad. Pretty pretty, pretty brutal war for the Columbos. Um, pretty rough indeed. So in 2011, the Justice Department um, 
targeted the Northeast American mafia organizations with 16 indictments, which led to 127 defendants being indicted and more than 110 arrests. Murder, murder conspiracy, loan sharking, arson, robbery, uh, trafficking of illegal drugs, extortion, illegal gambling, labor racketeering were among the charges. But yeah, <laughs> they didn't fuck around. It's, they were like, you know what? It's a fair few. If we're going to do this. <laughs> yeah. They were like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this properly. <laughs> Get the rap sheet out, people. <laughs> do all the crimes. Yay. <laughs> um, it's been called the biggest mafia operation uh, in American history, uh, the five families of New York and various other crime families were impacted by these sweeping indict indictments, all of the indictments. And that ends our look at the American mafia. There is so much stuff that I didn't put because it's, I mean, it's 150 years old. Like, there's so much ground that you can cover. But speaking you know saying that amy do you feel enlightened do you feel you know a little bit more about the mob i do yeah i think um like i say i was one of those people that was very oh okay well i've seen goodfellas so i need i know it all i've played mafia so i know it all and actually that's really not the case and like you say there's so much that we didn't go into in this episode because you could take like individual incidences from any num well any of the families of part as that is part of this massive you know thing in america so it's it's hard to summarize everything that they do and pick out like the best not the best bits i, I mean i guess the worst bits you know what i mean like pick out the the key bits to <laughs> to talk about so yeah <laughs> like you say we could have i mean i think pretty sure i said it at the start you could easily make a podcast just about the American Mafia. So the fact that we've managed to get all of that into, I mean, granted, we have now been recording for oh, yeah. two hours and 45 minutes, but the fact that we've got it all in is good. Yeah, I definitely feel enlightened. I definitely feel like I've learned some stuff, even if I did know one of the facts. Or did I? <laughs> <laughs> or did you? Um, it's an area that I have a big interest in. I think like just sort of the whole, an organisation became so big like and may and just became this massive criminal enterprise from you know its origins is essentially just a street gang and you know it's i don't think it's going to go away anytime soon it's different and it's not as strong i don't think as it used to be like in the 1970s there was a really good documentary on netflix called fear city um new york versus the mob I think it was called. And it essentially showed you that like in the 1970s, the mob essentially ran New York. They were involved in the docks. They were, they had lawyers on their payroll. They had judges on their payroll. They held power in the food industry, the service industry, the garment industry. Like they essentially ran the city. Like mm -hmm. they had so much, they had their tentacles everywhere. Don't think it's like that now. They don't have anywhere near as much power as they used to. But I think, you know, they're still there and they still have. I think they could, they still bring in a fuckload of money as well. 
like loads oh of yeah them. most definitely something as big and as organized as that doesn't just disappear and granted it may not be as no. you know in the public eye as it used to be or it may not be as obvious they might be a bit more underground but i i do think that there's still a lot of mob activity <clears throat> ongoing because there must be yeah you do still see it's not as off as common but you still do see like news articles of you know mobsters being arrested and you know stuff like that i think i think what they've done out of necessity is i think they've been like right you know media attention is bad because media attention will bring um police attention which will bring fbi attention yeah like we need to be low-key so you know don't kill people in the streets anymore don't be so obvious with your crimes anymore like stay in the yeah. shadows and you know it's it's why they've survived so long i guess oh yeah definitely um but i'm rambling about the mob so if you like what we do here then please rate and review on spotify and apple podcasts and follow the podcast um on your app of choice also be sure to follow the social medias at horrorhouse underscore pod don't forget to look at the patreon and also if you're so inclined have a look at the bias coffee page and get us some more coffees um i might actually send amy a coffee this time i mean i know i did last time the raven got lost that's what it was sent a raven uh, yeah 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 i actually want <laughs> one of these coffees so I, I've, <laughs> I've earned it when i when i see you uh i can get us free coffee so from prep in fact so there you go Woo! i can get you coffees good um, you heard it here people <laughs> all of these people have heard it now so you have to <laughs> it's out there mum's like you better buy her a coffee yeah you don't want to let your mum down <laughs> um so amy would you like to see us out my lovely i would love to thank you so much for listening thank you for hearing about the american mafia for quite a long time <laughs> and staying with us and we'll see you next time and in the meantime stay spooky stay spooky people <laughs> <laughs>